Today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Sin is not something we do. Sin is who we are. Sin is what we are. It's at the very root of who we are. But here's the point. So far as the new man about whom Paul has been writing here is concerned, that new creature I have become in Christ, and that new man, that's why the salvation is, is a transformation. It changes us. The old man is dead. It's buried. The new man is dead to sin. So that sin's hold is no longer actually on me. And again, greetings in Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Our time together today will take us back to the book of Romans, and we would invite you to join us there. Series called Just Stop It, Romans 6, verses 12 through 14. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's program. You can turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And this is our text for today, verse 11. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Last week, we looked at... uh, two realities the last couple weeks actually Uh, one of those realities being that we are dead to sin as christians we are dead to sin the bible says it doesn't mince any words It, it means just what it says that we are dead to sin and the second reality is that we are alive to god and both of those can be found uh there in verse 11 And we looked at the idea to overcome sin, we have to know that we are totally identified with Christ in the likeness not only of his death, but also of his resurrection. And so we've been studying this for several weeks now. And I asked you at the very beginning to be patient with me as we make our way through this, because we're probably going to raise a lot more questions at first than we answer. Well, we're getting to the part now where we can answer some of those questions. We've been looking at this doctrine up to this point concerning what God has done for us in salvation. What does it mean to have this new life in Christ? How does that relate to us? And now for the very first time almost, we kind of pass over this ridge of doctrine and we begin to touch on things that are very, very practical. We've studied these detailed doctrines of justification by faith, by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. And now we're moving on to the aspect of not justification, but sanctification. The last couple of weeks, we've, we've looked at what this, what this really means. And here in our text uh, today, we're going to find out that, that Christ really um, points out to us but through the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul points out to us what we are to know and what we are to consider. We've talked about that. But how real this truth is. And so... 
before we actually get into the text, I wanted to share with you just a couple principles concerning sanctification. What sanctification is, what sanctification is not. I think it's very important to understand that, first of all, coming out of the gate. And so this is kind of like an overview of where we're going to be going the rest of the message and even next week. And so the the principles of sanctification that I want you to acknowledge there in your outline, the first one is sin is not dead in Christians. We are dead to sin, but sin is not dead in Christians. Even the most mature and pious Christians, it's something that we always have to struggle against. And we need to emphasize that. Because there's a tension here. We've talked about how there's not two yous. There's not an old self and a new self. There's not a new man and an old man. If you're in Christ, the old man is dead. He's buried. He's rendered useless. You don't have to listen to him anymore. And so it's important that we understand this first principle of sanctification, that sin is not dead in Christians. But Christians are dead to sin. I mean, when you stop and think about it, there's no point in telling us not to offer our bodies to sin as instruments of wickedness, as what he offers in various scriptures there, but rather offer them to God as instruments of righteousness, unless there's a tendency to do the first. Paul wouldn't warn us to say, hey, be careful you don't offer your body as an instrument of wickedness or unrighteousness. He wouldn't even bring that up if it wasn't a possibility. He's talking to believers here. The reason we have to fight against sin is that because we are what? We're sinners. It's who we are. Now, I understand before God we're declared righteous, but practically we don't sense that yet. We don't taste that yet. We're still living here in this sin-stained world, in this sin-stained body, and we got to deal with sin each and every day. Secondly, there are some people who tend to think that somehow as a Christian they can be perfect. They claim that sin is not an issue in their life anymore. I remember one man telling me, oh, I I got saved, you know, 15 years ago. And sin's been eradicated from my life. I thought, what do you mean eradicated? That's, I don't deal with sin anymore. So I said, so you never sin? Nope, not since I've been saved. I said, well, you know what? You just did because you're lying to me. I mean, that's just the plain, simple truth. You can't be perfect. You can't be declared, make yourself sinless. You still have to deal with sin. And it's, it's the, the doctrine of perfectionism as a Christian is not only wrong because it's, it says so in Scripture, but even the people that claim this end up dealing with sin to some degree. So it's not a reality. So we need to understand, first of all, that when we talk about our sanctification, we're not talking about sinless perfection. Secondly, we have to understand that sin's hold on us happens through our bodies. That's how sin has a grasp on us. And remember, these are only just overviewing points. We're going to get into this a little later on in the message and and even next week. But it's very important that we understand this. When I say here that sin's hold on us is through our bodies... I do not mean that sin is in our bodies as opposed to being in us. As if by saying that it is our bodies we are claiming that we are not sinners or that sin is only external to us. No, sin is, as uh, John Owen says, sin is not something we do. Sin is who we are. Sin is what we are. It's at the very root of who we are. But here's the point. 
So far as the new man about whom Paul has been writing here is concerned, that new creature I have become in Christ, we understood, and we've, we've been teaching this for weeks now, that we've been taken out of Adam, and now we have been translated into Christ. We are in Christ. We've been joined with Christ. We're one with Christ. And that new man, that's why the salvation is, is a transformation. It changes us. The old man is dead. It's buried. The new man is dead to sin. So that sin's hold is no longer actually on me, but it's on my body. <laughs> that may sound a little confusing, but it, it makes sense in a little while. And he says there in verse 12 of our text, let not sin therefore reign where? In your mortal body. Why? Because it's dead. The new you is dead to sin. Don't let. You don't have to go down that road. The body of our flesh is that which is, is dying. And he goes on and he refers to different members of our body. And it's not that the body is evil. I don't want you to think that. The body itself is not sinful. It's, it's the way that sin fleshes itself out is through our body. Think of it this way. One day when we will be transformed, we will be transformed and have our glorified body. Guess what? We won't have to deal with sin anymore. We'll be free from the bondage. We'll be free from the effect. We'll be free from everything that sin has to deal with because we'll have a glorified body that, that doesn't translate, will not be affected by sin. Incredible. So sin's hold on us is because of our fleshly body. That's why it has a hold on us. One day we'll be freed from that. Thirdly, sin can reign in or dominate our bodies, even as Christians. When I say you're dead to sin, the old man is dead, it's buried. It doesn't mean that sin doesn't have some activity in your, in your life. When we become in Christ, when we become a new creature in Christ, that new me will always abhor sin. It will always yearn for righteousness. That's why when we sin as a Christian, are we gleeful? Are we, wow, great, I get to sin. No. What? The Spirit convicts our hearts. And we feel convicted. We feel uneasy. The Bible says if you don't confess your sin, you're going to toss and turn in your bed at night. You're not going to be able to get a good night's sleep. Why? Because you haven't confessed your sin. You haven't admitted it to God. God's purpose for the believer through sanctification is to make us holy, to make us more like his son. And it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen one day you're in Adam, one day you're in Christ. Positionally, that's true. But practically, what happens? That sin still affects our lives. And if we don't rein it in, it will rein us, us in. I've talked to many Christians that are enslaved to sin. And it's a horrible place to be in because you know that you don't have to be there. You're choosing to be there. So sin can rein in or dominate our bodies. That's why Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. He wouldn't have to say that if it wasn't a possibility. Fourthly, sanctification has to deal with this. The principle of sanctification is, although sin can reign in or dominate our bodies, it does not need to. <laughs> That's where the freedom comes in. In other words, although it is, 
it is possible for us to offer the parts of our body to sin as instruments of wickedness. We don't need to do this. As believers, for the first time, we're free to do something in the eyes of God that is right because we're joined to Christ. We have this new life within and we have his power through the power of the Holy Spirit available to us. Augustine's phrase, he said this, as a non-believer, I was not able not to sin. But as a believer, for the first time, I am able not to sin. We often do sin. That's why Paul is urging us to yield our bodies to righteousness and not to wickedness. The idea is we don't any longer need to do that. We have an alternative for the first time. And then the fifth point here, as far as the principle of sanctification, and like I said, these are all overview points. These are kind of points that we'll be looking at in the coming weeks. It leads to the last and positive truth. As Christians, we can now offer the parts of our bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. For the first time, we can offer ourselves to God knowing that he will not condemn us. Not because we have a righteousness of our own, but as we've studied, simply because Christ's righteousness was placed upon us when we trusted him for salvation, when we came to the cross and we said, you know what, I acknowledge the cross. I acknowledge the work that God has done through Christ on the cross for me. I acknowledge the fact that I don't have to die for my own sin, that I don't have to pay the penalty for my own sin, nor am I under the power of that sin any longer. And it's all because what Christ did on the cross. The fact that he went to the cross as a sinless lamb of God and paid for the penalty, the sin of all those who would ever place their trust in him for salvation. He paid it completely, totality. There's nothing else that needs to be done. That's why when we come to this table, the communion table, and we eat the bread and we drink the juice, we don't do that thinking somehow when we're doing this, this is earning us salvation. This isn't a means of God's grace. This is simply two emblems that represent what Christ did for us. And it's very important that we understand that. This isn't a means to grace. This is simply an affirmation that you have already partaken of God's grace. That you understand that God has saved you. That God, through Christ, has paid the penalty of your sin. And when you come to this table, you're obeying what Jesus Christ said to do. Do this in remembrance of me until I come. You know, we do it once a month. The Bible says do it as often as you can. You know, you can do this at home. You don't need a church to do this. This is simply maybe you and your wife getting together and saying, you know what, we want to remember the, the death of Christ and, and you know, you get some matzah, you get some leavenless bread, bread without any leaven, and you get some juice, and, and you have communion. You can do it every day if you want to do. Now, some people do it so often that it becomes ritualistic, right? I grew up in a church like that. Every Sunday there was a mass. Every mass there was communion, and you just kind of went through it. You didn't understand what was going on. You just kind of did it. Well, that's not good either. It should hold a special place in our heart, but don't think that you can only do it here and you can only do it once a month. You can do it as often as you remember to do it. That's really what he wants us to do. But it's interesting to me that Paul brings up the fact of our bodies 
This sanctification process happens, takes place through our bodies. What do we do with our bodies then? I mean, he's really talking about our body, not our our soul here. He says that in your flesh, in your fleshly body, I mean, when you think of the body, what do you think of? The first thing I think of is the mind. The mind is part of the body. I mean, we're really largely defined by what goes on up here in our minds. That's why in Romans chapter 12, if you turn over there, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your, what, bodies? Remember, it's not the body that is the problem. It's sin that utilizes the body. So he's saying, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. See, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The problem with a lot of believers is they're so confused about God's will, their mind's all messed up. (laughs) That's why it's so important when we come together as the body of Christ that we're not just up here talking about five happy points to a happy marriage or something. You know, we're talking about God's word. We're talking about truth. We're talking about doctrine. We're talking about settling our minds on what is a firm foundation of truth that we can build our Christian lives on. The problem with so many churches is they think, well, doctrine's boring, and you know, people won't sit there and, and listen to somebody go on and on for an hour about doctrine, so we're just going to do a little skit, and then we'll sing some songs, and then the pastor can do a little devotion, and that's it. Well, what do you end up with? You end up with anemic Christians. You end up Christians that, with Christians that aren't being fed, that, that are not understanding fundamental, foundational truths of doctrine. And it all begins in the mind. Think about your ears. Think about your eyes. Because the mind's not the only part of the body. We receive impressions from the world through our eyes, through our ears. If you think about back in Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, it talks about Achan. Do you remember Achan? He was an Israelite soldier who participated in the battle of Jericho under Joshua. But what did he do? He disobeyed God's command not to take any of the spoils, but rather dedicate them to God. And it tells us in Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, when he confessed, he said this, When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. What happened to Achan? Achan got stoned. He got stoned because of his sin. But what caused his sin? His, his sin was caused by the lust of his eyes. First John 2.16 tells us that. We have to be careful what we put in front of our eyes, beloved. Achan's eyes became instruments of wickedness instead of instruments for his growth and holiness. And it's no different today. Some sociologists tell us that by the age of 21, the average young person has been bombarded by 300,000 commercial messages, all arguing from the identical basic assumption, personal gratification is the dominant goal in life. 
We have to be careful what we put in front of our eyes. We have to be careful what goes into our ears. I mean, how are we going to grow in constant, uh, any consistency in godliness if we're constantly watching something that is not edifying to the Lord? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating some kind of, you know, go live in a monastery somewhere and cut all the cables and, you know, that kind of... That may be good for some of you, to be honest. But you know what? I like sports. I like news. I'll watch TV as a way to relax. But you have to monitor it. You have to be careful. And I'm not just talking about the input that you're getting from that. I'm talking about even the time frame. I mean, on a lazy afternoon, I can blow away a couple hours quickly (laughs) watching a ball game or watching golf or watching football or, you know, watching a cop show or watching something. (laughs) And pretty soon the time's gone. Can never get that time back. We have to be careful. One simple goal might be for us to spend as many hours studying your Bible and praying and going to church as you do watch TV. At least then you'd have an equal input. I guarantee you it's lopsided the other way right now. We need to be aware of that. How about our tongues? Our tongue is also part of the body. What do we do with it? What we do with it is rather important. James, the Lord's brother, uh, thought very much about the tongue. And he said in in James chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, he wrote this, The tongue is a small part of the body. But it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's what James had to say about the tongue. We have to be careful how we use our tongue. We have to be careful what we say, how we say it. I've learned that the hard way over years of ministry. Because sometimes I'll just say something in someone's response and it won't be graceful, it won't be anything, it'll be factual, won't be lying to the person, but I didn't necessarily say it in the best way that I could have said it. And a lot of times my attitude has been, oh, grow up. But that's not the right attitude to have. Okay, I'm the one that needs to grow up and be more sensitive to the people who need that kind of sensitivity. And then you think of our hands and our feet. Our hands, our feet determine what we do, where we go. So when we're considering how we might offer the parts of our body to God's, God as instruments of righteousness, we can't forget about our hands and our feet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12, Paul writes about using our hands profitably. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Those are two good exhortations in themselves. But then he says this, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Good words of wisdom. Also over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul writes this. He says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Our hands are to be used as a blessing, not just for us, but for other people. How about our feet? Over in Romans chapter 10, 
verses 14 to 15, Paul says this, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Talking about the gospel here. And how are they to believe in him who have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let me ask you, where do your feet take you on a daily journey? Do they take you to places maybe they shouldn't? Do your hands do things that maybe they shouldn't be doing? Are they not being used for God's glory? Your mind, your tongue? See, this is his point here when he gets to verse 11 and 12. When he says 12, in verse 12 there, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. He's basically saying, you know what, this is your default, but you need to stop it. That's what he's saying. He's simply saying, stop it. He's not mincing any words. He's saying, if you're a new person in Christ, you need to stop this kind of behavior. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.